Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I just couldn't get away from this past weekend. And so I guess it was on Monday, the Lord just kind of dropped this in my heart just to kind of talk about restoration some more. And um, I I just, the whole, the whole, this whole thing is going to be titled for Kendra's benefit. The the title of this is an expectation of restoration. You know, and um, we need to come expecting, come before God expecting. Well, you know, I'm just going to go back and just kind of lay a foundation over here that if, if you really want to talk about restoration, they're the principle and the promise of restoration actually started in the book of Genesis. If you go with me to Genesis 3.15, what had happened in, in Genesis? I mean, we're only in, in, verse, in, in chapter 3. What in the world happened in, three, in less than three chapters? Well, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He gave man dominion. Man took dominion, named all the animals, did everything he was supposed to. Woman was formed. You know, that was the highest accomplishment, girls. That was the crowning jewel of God's creation. That's why we, that's why we, you know, a woman, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing because she's a pearl of great price. And I figure, well, since, since the gates of heaven are made all out of one pearl, he was Putting some mighty high value on us girls. But anyway, so in two chapters, you've got a lot going on. But in the third chapter, guess who comes? You know, the enemy comes. And what happens is the man winds up handing over the dominion that he had been given by God to the enemy. And in, in verse 15, God set us up for restoration. The whole of mankind. And it says he, here where God was talking to the, to the devil in, in verse In verse 14, he said, The Lord said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now in the Amplified it says, He shall bruise and tread your head underfoot. Doesn't that sound like what we were singing on Sunday night? He's under my feet. He's under my feet. That is his position. His eternal position is under your feet. If you will believe that and act on what God says about you, that you have power to tread on serpents, that the enemy belongs under your feet, that is his position. Do you understand me? You need to see him for what he is, low to the ground, with you standing on top of him. Hallelujah. And it goes on to say in the Amplified Version, it says, and you shall, and he's talking to the the devil, the serpent, and he said, you shall lie in wait and bruise his heel. Now, I looked at that and I went, well, doesn't that paint a pretty picture of the devil's tactics? Lying in wait secreting himself, disguising himself, you know, hiding in the bushes, waiting for an opportunity to bruise your heel. Your heel, the lowest part of you. He can only bruise your heel. 
Do you understand that? That's as much as he's allowed to do. Bruise, your heel. That's what he's destined to do. It's just bruise your heel. For the people who know their God, for the people who understand their authority, for the people who will take and exercise their authority and their dominion, the only thing the devil can do is bruise. But it says, we'll bruise and tread on his head. The, the biggest part of him, the most important part of him, we, we tread on that. We tread on it. Stop giving the devil so much power. Stop giving him so much deference. You know, as though he's got some lofty place of exaltation that he can do anything he wants to. He cannot. Unless we let him. Unless we allow him to. We, by either our ignorance of what the word says or by just our just not paying attention. How many times if something happened in your life shouldn't have happened just because you weren't paying attention? He will take advantage of those opportunities. But when we stay mindful, mindful of him, his tactics, and where he belongs and where we belong, that's all he can do is a little old bruise. Amen. You know, Pastor Scott Webb was uh, on Sunday morning, was, was over in Joel. Go with me over there to the second chapter of Joel. And if you don't know where Joel is, go to Daniel and hang a right, two, two chapters or two books, and you'll find it right there. I think it's cheating sometimes when people got apps on their iPads and stuff. They don't have to look anything up. <laughs> uh. Can I bother you there, Ryan? Hallelujah. Good. Joel chapter 2, in uh, verse 25, this one says, I will restore to you the years that the locust is eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which is sent among you. Listen, God's in the restoration business. Even when we didn't know him, the things that were taken from us, even in the days before we knew him, the, the hopes, the dreams, the visions, the resources, when we come to God, he wants to restore all of those things. Sometimes we look at this verse and we think of it in light of what we've lost since we've been a Christian. But you know what? I look at it as both. I can see both things here. I know there's a lot of time I frittered away when I wasn't serving God. A lot of things I lost out on. A lot of things that that the enemy took from me that God always intended that I should have. And he's ready to restore all those things that the enemy has taken from me before I actually was serving God, while I was backslidden. You know, I mean, I was was saved as, as as a little kid, you know, and and. You know, just backslidden as a teenager and a young adult. You know, there were things that were lost to me during those years that God wants to restore. He wants to restore them in your life as well. You know, there is the the verse that we all know, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That is the picture of restoration. To have life and to have it more abundantly. He doesn't want you to have just life in, in just some, some kind of a you know, mediocre sense. But he wants you to have life in an extravagant, just overflowing sense. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to restore to you. 
But if you look back at the Garden of Eden and all the things that were available to man in the Garden of Eden, I mean, we've not seen anything like that since the days of Adam. But see, God's in the restoration business. He wants us now that we've been born again. He wants us to experience all the restoration that he meant for man to have back there in the garden. Hallelujah. He's made some extravagant promises to a lot of people. Extravagant promises. You know, if you go to Genesis 17, um, we'll just go over there real quick. Hallelujah. Genesis 17. What did he say to Abraham? You talk about extravagant. Chapter 17, verse 2. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 7, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. Now go over to 22, verse 17. Literally, <clears throat> you say, well, that, that, that sounds really good. But he wants to, here's, here's something a little more specific. In uh, Genesis here, uh, 22, 17, it says, In blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sea which is upon the seashore. And your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now that's some extravagant promises. Extravagant promises. Did God fulfill those? Absolutely. He told him about the, the son who would be the son of promise. And when it came right down to it just a little while later, he told him to go take his son and to sacrifice his son. Listen, Abraham went up to Mount Moriah with an expectation of restoration. He was willing to follow what God said due to the letter. And yet he said, the, the lad and I will go and will come back. His expectation of restoration was already dwelling and abiding and big on the inside of him. Listen, it will never cost you to obey God. It may seem like on, on a temporary level that you might lose out on some kind of benefit or something, you know, that, that you might have to give up. Or Listen, God's going to restore that plus. Plus. Never will you do anything or give up anything for God, but that he will restore to you that plus so much more. Obedience will never cost you. It will pay. It will pay. Hallelujah. You know, Dan was talking about Job. Well, first of all, let me go back to another, another extremely extravagant promise. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. Hallelujah. Notes are so good that sometimes I get ahead of my notes. You know, then I have to come back and find where I was. And Deuteronomy 11, 24. He's talking to the children of Israel. Oh, my. You know, we, we look at them sometimes and we just wonder, you know, how, you know, did, could you just get it right and stay right for a while? Because they were always into something. But you know what? We kind of do the same thing. You know, we, we go along for a while serving God really good wholeheartedly and then we kind of get off on, you know, on something over here and then we get to moaning and groaning because it looks a little hard and, you know, kind of whining and stuff. You know, God stays the same. Thank goodness he stays the same. And when he's promised you something, he intends for you to have it. 
But this extravagant promise that he makes to the children of Israel in verse 24. He says, every place where on the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. Do you know what? Every place your feet tread belongs to you. That's not just a promise to them. It's a promise to you. Everywhere, every step you take is a step of faith. Everywhere you go, the blessings of God will follow you, overtake you, overwhelm you. Hallelujah. Extravagant promises. Now let's go and look at Job. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) Hallelujah. Job is a wonderful example of a man who loved God but let his fear get in his way. If you read here in uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 2, the most important thing in life is not our possessions. It's our family. And in in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And you go on in this chapter... His children were killed. Great wind came. The house fell down. You know, they were killed. But if you go over to Job 42, everything was restored to him, just like Dan said a while ago. Double. 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 Can you say double? See, when God restores to you, he's not just not talking about... One for one. The, 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 quota, the quota and the ratio is much better than that. You're going to get a good return when you start believing God for restoration. In, uh, in, in verse uh, chapter 42, verse 13, it says, after it lists all the things that God had blessed him with in return, all his double, and it says, he also had seven sons and three daughters. He restored his family completely intact. But it didn't stop just there. It talks about the fact, if you go on down in verse 14 and 15, about the three daughters that he had. Isn't it wonderful? God singled out the girls again. Amen. And in verse 15 it says, And in the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. I, I personally, that's just a little side thought, but I loved that. He had seven sons and three daughters to start with. The enemy took them. God restored seven sons and three daughters, and he especially blessed those daughters. Amen. Hallelujah. And in verse 17, it said, Job died being old and full of days. And that really, that, that term full of days means satisfied. He was satisfied. No child of God should leave this planet and go to heaven without being satisfied. If we'll believe God to do the restoration in our lives that, that he wants to do, we will leave this earth and go to heaven satisfied. Amen. John 10, 10 again, it says the thief comes to steal. But you know, in Exodus 22, 7, the principle that we found in Job is listed. It says that when a thief is found out, he has to pay double. Ah, but then I like Proverbs even better. Proverbs 6 verse 31 says that when a thief is found, he shall restore seven times. 
What can you believe God for in restoration? You, you, you want just, you know, just an equal, equal amount back? You know, I lost 100. I want 100 back. You want double? You got, a, you got some verses to stand on for that. You want seven? God quickens that to your heart. Stand on it. Amen. The thief, when he's found. See, a lot of people don't know who the thief is. They don't have a clue who the thief is. Sometimes they think the thief is God. <clears throat> I, I, it, it, it saddens me to still, you know, read things that people write in times of crisis and in tragedy about we just don't understand the ways of God, why he lets bad things happen to good people. And I just want to go, because you don't have a clue who's behind all this is why you're saying that. Nobody has ever told you. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is a good God? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. With him, there's no variation, no shadow of turning. If he was good, he's not going to stop today being good and decide, well, you know, I need to put a little tragedy in their lives to kind of wake them up. So, no, that's not God. That is not what he uses to wake people up. Oh, well, God's going to get glory out of this. I, th- I don't think he needs that to get glory. He never has needed that to get glory. He doesn't need that today to get glory. The thief is the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's no ambiguity in that statement. It means what it says, says what it means. And the the Christian world has got to get to the place where they read that and understand who is who. The thief comes, but I have come. The but means I'm not involved in the part that came first. I'm involved in this part. And so people need to start looking at it and going, okay, this is the part that, that God's talking about. And that's the part that does not apply to God. It should be that simple. But honestly, it's not that simple for most people. But you know what? That's a simple revelation to you and me. Easy. We understand that. Clear as a bell. But you don't know how many people don't know that. Michelle was just sharing with me the other day about a gentleman that she had that came into because she's a PA, came in to see her, and a Christian man. And when she began to tell him, just because the Spirit led her to talk to him about the thief that comes to steal, to kill and destroy, that this disease that he had, the suffering that he was enduring, had nothing to do with God. It was a thief. And that God came to give them life. Said this man and his, and his wife looked at her like with eyes wide open as though, Really? Can that be true? Listen, it is true. The word of God says it. It is true. Hallelujah. But you know what? there's There's no surprise in the fact that the enemy comes to try to discourage us. No surprise that he comes to challenge us. No surprise that he comes in to try to uh, bring doubt and fear into our hearts and into our minds. But you know what? It's up to us to just take a stand, to put him where he belongs, to say no. Do exactly what Jesus did and say, the word says. See, I don't have to argue with the devil from my standpoint, from my viewpoint, from my ability. I have to just look at him and say, the word says. You know, when, when I say that, it has nothing to do with my, 
my shortcomings and my, and my great qualities or anything else, the good, the bad, or the ugly, has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what the Word of God says. The Word says that I prosper. The Word says that all my needs are met according to His riches and glory by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. The Word says by His stripes I was healed. The, the Word says, the Word says, the Word says, the Word says, the Word says. Hallelujah. You look at him and say, you want to steal from me? Think about it. Think about what it's going to cost you. Think about it. You want to pay twice? You want to pay seven. Which would you like? Just just have a conversation. All right. You you want to try this? Great. All right. I'll I'll give you a choice. What would you like? Then sometimes you don't give him a choice. You say, I found you. I caught you. Now this is what you're going to pay me back. Hallelujah. I tell you what, there are people who will not or have not, I should say, ever even considered restoration of things because somehow they think they didn't qualify. Well, you know, all those things I did, you know, before I got born again, you know, that's just water under the bridge. There's nothing I can do about that. Yes, there is. You can believe God to restore all those things that you lost. Sometimes we, you know, we find ourselves in a place of loss that, you know, it just, it happened. Before we could turn around good, it happened. Maybe a bad decision, a bad choice. And how many of us have suffered as a result of a bad choice? You know, because of that, sometimes we think, well, we don't deserve God's grace and his mercy. But yes, you do. God never qualified, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly on anything except that you, whether you're born again, whether you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you know him as Father. That's, all, that's the only qualification you've got to have because he's already made you qualified in the fact that Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. He took those stripes on his back for you. He did everything for you. And now everything has been accounted unto you as though you did it yourself. That's grace. I mean, Pastor Webb was talking about grace on Sunday morning. It couldn't have made it any better. You know, it was great illustrations of that, you know. And that's what it takes sometimes is for us to get right down. Somebody just use some kind of an illustration. And that's why a lot of times we have guest speakers in. They may say exactly some of the same things that have been said from this pulpit over and over again. But maybe they're going to say it in a way that will get through to you. That will, that will, that will cause you to just go, Wow. My eyes are opened again to that, to the bigness of that, to the greatness of how good God is to me and how much he wants to do for me. So if you've ever made a bad choice and you've lost something valuable because of the bad choice you made, listen, God's ready to restore that. It doesn't matter how many bad choices you make. First of all, you need to recognize it was a bad choice. That will help you a whole lot because if you don't, you're bound to do it again. You understand? Some people make one bad choice after another, after another, after another, after another, and refuse to see that they're the ones who made the choice. Not anybody else's responsibility, not anybody else's fault. I made the choice. I made that choice. Now, let's move on. See, you've got to move on. Whatever, whatever the reason for the loss that needs to be restored, whatever the reason, move on. Just move on. We have, we've got to stop being in a place where we're regretting things. The only regret we ought to have is that I didn't take authority over this nonsense sooner. 
You know, but see, God will make it up to you anyway. I was talking last week about, about the GPS, you know, and, and if, you, if you take the wrong turn, you know, you listen to that GPS, sometimes it'll lead you off in the wrong direction and you'll miss a lot, of, a lot of things along the way. But I'm telling you what, God still intends to get you to the same destination. And he'll take you down a road that's got a lot of pretty scenery in spite of what you might have missed. In fact, you might find yourself in a whole lot better scenery than what you think you missed. You know, I... Just because of the, of the way we got married, got young, you know, we're young and, and, and just kids ourselves when we got married and had, had kids and we were kids raising kids. I found myself in those first few years being very resentful of the fact that I had missed out on things that other people you know, we're enjoying. My friends were in college having a great time. My friends were doing this and doing that. And I was, I had the responsibility of child at, a, at 17. I'm a mom. You know, and I had all that. And so I lived with a lot of resentment and a lot of regret. And there were times when I wanted to, to channel that regret and the focus of that regret and that loss on my husband. Because after all, you know, if he hadn't been so much, much of a Mr. Don Juan, I wouldn't have been in this position. But you know what? One day I came to the realization that I made a choice. I made a choice. No should have been no. It wasn't. But you know what? You can't live in the past. Some things you just got to let go of and stop looking back at all of that. You know, and say, I don't know what I missed if, that, if, I, if I hadn't made those choices. But I'm telling you what, God's got something better in store for me. He wants to restore all those hopes and dreams and, and fulfillment and contentment in me. And today I, I look back and go, I, I would never say that God that was in God's plan for my life would never say that. But I tell you what, the way things have turned out, it's like, I don't know. That was, that was the path that led me where I am. I don't know. I just have to rejoice along the way that I find myself where I am. Because you've got to stop with the regret. Too many people live in regret. And they can't even look up forward because they're always looking behind them about what could have. Stop the what ifs. Stop the what could have beens. Stop the what should have beens. And go, I'm looking forward. God's going to take all that. He's going to restore all that to me. And I'm going to go on and I'm going to enjoy my life to such a fullness that I will never again let myself look back at that with any kind of longing about what could have been. Never. Never. Hallelujah. Then we not need to stop rehearsing all of our mistakes. Stop it. Stop it. You know, the devil wants to play things, things you've done over and 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 over in your head. You know, if any man is Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You let go of it. God has. You can't move forward until you stop rehearsing it. You know, you made boo-boos. Okay, great. Just go on. Just go on. You know, it has to become history. Just history. That's all it can be to you after this. God is, is looking for us to, to start expecting restoration in every area of our 
lives. And we qualify for that. If you look at Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us, there come, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. In fact, turn over with that because I've got a, another um, translation of that to read. I want to get the King James to start with before I read the, the other version of it. Hebrews 4.16. Hallelujah. Let us come, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We may find grace to help in time of need. Listen, over in the Message Bible, you know, the Message Bible is a paraphrase, not a translation, but there are some things that are really just kind of sometimes just grab your attention. And in this, it says, in this uh, part of verse 16, it says, so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Let's just walk right up to God and say, I'm ready to take it. See, there's faith in receiving. You have to receive by faith. But let's just walk right up to him and just take what he's so ready to give. You're not taking anything from God. You're taking what he's extending to you already that belongs to you already. Hallelujah. Romans 8 verse 32. Go over there. Romans 8 verse 3. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In Luke 12, 32, it says, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, what does that include? Everything. 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 It includes everything. He takes delight and pleasure in giving you everything. It it just gives him such joy to restore to you what the enemy has taken away from you. Because he's come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, we need to be prepared to receive. Well, there's a verse over in that Psalm 8, 10 that says, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We limit ourselves. See, he could say, you know, well, you know, however big your mouth is open, you know, how much you will receive is how much you'll get. I, I, there's one commentary said says something along this uh, about this verse. It says, "God cannot give lavishly unless we desire largely. He's got more to give us than we know." I, I remember a few years, a number of years ago, we were doing an RMAI retreat, and we were on a boat ride. Uh, one of those paddle boat things up and down the river in South Florida. And I know you guys probably know which river it is, and I can't remember now. But anyway, along this little boat ride, there were all these homes that the 
person who was on the boat was telling us all about all these millionaires and billionaires we you know lived along this this river and and so this was a nighttime cruise and so you could see things were all lit up and everything we passed by yachts and and uh, the uh, tour person was saying that these yachts cost like a hundred dollars a foot to build and this was like a hundred foot yacht and pastor looked at me, he said you know what the Bible says that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. He says, we don't have a clue how much the, the, wealth, the, the unrighteous have got. We don't have a clue how much the sinner has got. We say that verse and we just you know, kind of pass it over. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. There's a lot out there that God wants to transfer into your hands and mine. And we don't have a clue how much is out there. And so we don't expect big. But what does that say? God cannot give lavishly unless we desire largely. Amen. Our mouth should be like a funnel. You want to use a little funnel? I've got one of those little tiny funnels at home that we use to fill up some kind of, a, of an oil lamp thing, you know, for a, you know, mosquitoes and stuff. Then there's other funnels at my house that are much bigger. Now, What's the capacity? Is the capacity the same in the two to receive? No. No. How, how, big, how big a funnel you want to have? The bigger, the better. Because God is, is more than able to fill it up, whatever it is. It depends on you. How much he pours out and how much you receive him depends on your ability to receive, to understand how much he wants to give you and to receive from that. Hallelujah. Uh, you, you can get to the place where you think, yeah, but you don't know, you know, the things I've lost. I mean, there's just no way God can make that up to me. Listen, yes, there is. God's got a plan. Jeremiah says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's a rhetorical question. He's not really looking for the answer. He already knows the answer. But you need to know the answer. Is there anything too hard for me? No. Nothing is too hard for God. Absolutely nothing is too hard for him. I don't care how much or what you've lost. God is more than able to make it up to you because nothing is too hard for him. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, we need to get to, the, to a place where we call to remembrance the things that we have lost. You know, sometimes, you know, you just you lose things and after a while you just forget about it. Listen, if God's if speaking restoration to you, and I believe Sunday's messages about restoration spoke to a lot of people, what he wants you to do is go back and take inventory of what you've lost so that you can make your expectation as big as the loss. And beyond. See, but he's, willing, he's wanting to go beyond that. Doesn't Ephesians say that he does exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think? His version of restoration is much bigger than your version of restoration. But sometimes he's got no starting place because we haven't started any place. We haven't gone back and say, Lord, I've lost this. You know, we had owned a cabin up in the mountains for, for, what, seven years, and our intent was to buy that thing and flip it in a couple of years, and the market went south, and it cost us a ton of money for the seven years we had it, and it cost us a lot to get out of that thing. And so every, every Sunday, 
before we come out here, we pray in pastor's office over our tithe and our giving, and we claim a restoration of all that money we lost in that bad choice every single week, and God is making it up to us. Will he do it all in one fell swoop? Sometimes he's a God of the suddenlies, and sometimes he will. But generally, it's a, it's a process. But the process will only continue if you open your mouth. Just like Pastor Webb said on Sunday, your mouth is the mixer that gets it going. Your mouth is the thing that, that makes it happen. What you speak, you need to be speaking restoration. But you have to start with an expectation of restoration. You have to start there. I'm expecting the thief to give up what he stole. I'm expecting God to multiply what he stole from me. Bring it back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, in, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, you know, he's talked about the, about the man with the withered hand when Jesus went into the synagogue. The man had a withered hand. What does that mean? That means that hand was literally and essentially for all intents and purposes dead. There are some things in your life that might be for all essential purposes dead. Dreams. Hopes. But Jesus said to him, stretch forth your hand. It's time for us to take things that that have no life in them anymore and to give life to them by stretching forth our expectation and our faith. And our faith will be demonstrated by what comes out of our mouth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I think I'm going to stop right there. Glory to God. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't let him challenge your, your faith. Don't let him say what you're saying is just not so much nonsense. You keep saying that over and over again that God's going to restore this to you. That's just a bunch of nonsense. Don't let him mock you. Don't let him do that. And certainly don't let him get to the place where he speaks fear into your thought life. You know, he can speak fear into it, but until you meditate on it, until you take a hold of that fear, it's got no place to stay in you. It will come. It needs to go. As soon as it comes, you need to recognize it. You need to take authority over it right then. No, God's word says he'll do this, and I'm expecting God's, God to come through on that. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't have to know. See, the person of faith puts no qualification and no time limit on how, when, or where this is going to take place. Sometimes we get to the idea that, that you know, we always deal in terms of, of you know, well, like Abraham, he had to wait 25 years. Listen, if it takes that, it takes that. But sometimes we get into a mindset, this is going to take a long time. Listen, take your hands off of it. So if God wants to operate in the realm of suddenly one day, he's free to do it. Yeah. Don't say by the end of the year, just say, whenever your timetable is, God, I'll take it. That I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's mine. Restoration is mine. I have an expectation of restoration. And I'm going to pull out from all the drawers, you know, all the reminders of what I've lost. And I'm going to start adding it up. I'm going to keep an account for the devil here and tell him that I know what he's stolen from me. I know all the things he's done in my life that shouldn't have happened. And this is what I'm getting back. This is going to be mine. Hallelujah. Mine God's promised it to me.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.